what we've got here is failure to communicate. Hey, I'm Dana White, and you're in the ring with Callum McGregor. UFC 269 last pay-per-view of the year one more fight night to come and season one is done how you doing my brother how are you brother doing all right doing all right we're uh digging into a card that is uh there's a lot of cool spots but I mean it could go either way in a lot of these fights so it's definitely you got to find your spots and, and ride them really because really there's a lot of these fights I could see either way um but anyways, let's let's get into it right away, um, and look at the first fight on the card. We have Jillian Robertson against Priscilla Cachuera. Um, Cachuera is ten three and zero. Jillian Robertson is nine six and zero. And if you're looking at the one distinct thing is just a two inch reach advantage for Priscilla, but that could come at a cost for Jillian Robertson, who doesn't like to get punched. And uh, you know, Cachuera has some some power in those hands, so. With this fight, I mean, we, I think the breakdown is really simple. I think the breakdown is the same across the board. And I think if you listen to multiple podcasts, you're hearing a lot of the same stuff on this one. It's going to be grappler versus striker. It's going to be someone who doesn't like to get punched. That's someone so hard to bet on. Even Brock Lesnar doesn't like to get punched, right? Like, so, so when you have a fighter that doesn't like to get hit, I, it's very, very hard to bet on that person. But that being said, Julian Robertson's grappling and, and, you know, cage time dominance could, could play a role in this. It's Robertson's who I want to lean with on this, but you know, I just don't know. We'll go through the, so the breakdown of the, the numbers in a minute, but for you, where, how do you see this fight playing out? Do you see Robertson getting caught? Cause really that's, that's the only way it's, does she get caught or does she implement her game plan? Yeah. So this one, it's kind of dicey for me in the sense. And the reason why it's dicey is because for Jillian Robertson being as unreliable as she is at a minus 400 price tag, it's just scares the shit out of me. Um, honestly, I kind of like Priscilla, uh, Priscilla, sorry, in this spot, just because Jillian Robertson does tend to fade. I can't foresee her getting her out of there. And as the fight progresses, if Priscilla could keep it on her feet, then she'll be able to take advantage of this fight. The biggest issue going into it is the fact that Priscilla has shown time and time again in her most recent losses that she has terrible takedown defense, and that's going to be Jillian Robertson's game plan the whole way. Um, for me, this situation is as simple as it gets. It's a dog or pass situation because, like, I can't fathom putting a minus 400 price tag on somebody with a 9-6 and six record who doesn't show up to fight. And as you pointed out, doesn't like to get punched and tends to cower away from it whenever she gets hit. We've seen it in a lot of her fights where if whenever things start going the opposite way, she tends just to curl up. And if Priscilla can take advantage of that and catch her with a couple of clean strikes. She's going to find out very quickly that she doesn't want to be in that spot anymore. Yeah. I mean, even, it even has me hesitant betting the one, <clears throat> excuse me, the over one and a half. Um, because if Jillian gets like, clipped early and doesn't like it, does, is there, you know, an end early? I don't know. Um, so it really is a, a dog or pass. It really is a, you know, KO or a bus type situation. But, I mean, if you look at the numbers, we have Cachoeira who, who lands 3.81 a minute, but she also absorbs 7.03. I don't know if that issue there is relevant in this fight. I don't see her, um, you know, getting tagged too much on the feet. And, and Robertson is actually, she's 
absorbing more than she's landing. She's landing 2.01 and absorbing 2.52. So the biggest thing obviously is her takedowns, which is 2.54 takedowns per 15 minutes, so per fight. Um, and yeah, that takedown defense is uh, atrocious as well too. 63% uh, takedown defense. Um, but even that doesn't really sell how bad it is if you watch tape on it. So yeah, man, I mean, obviously Robinson's coming off some losses. She's coming off a loss to Santos and Maverick. No slouch in, in the, the women's division. Um, and yeah, it is dogger pass. I, I think there's, that's the only way to look at it. So, you know, we won't look at it any other way. Dogger pass, even over the one and a half is sketchy. So you want to parlay it up. Usually you parlay a women's MMA over one and a half into your um, parlays to add a little bit of juice. And I don't know if that's a smart move in this one. Yeah, it's definitely not worth it. Uh, so do not parlay Jillian Roberts by any stretch of imagination. In this no, I meant over the one and a half, right? Oh, the yeah, over yeah. one and a half. But even that could be sketchy and it's over certain. one and a half right now is um well it's sitting at minus 163 so it's not the worst thing in the world to be honest um it, it's good but i mean like i said it, it should be feel like you're getting 100 percent out of it like it's going to happen almost 100 percent when you do women's mma over one and a half that's like an extra padded thing you add to a parlay so kind of crazy is a minus 110 to win by finish though um and honestly like i'm going to sprinkle that so i gotta put it out there but I'm going to sprinkle the round three for Priscilla at plus 3,300. I think it's a dumb friggin' line to be that big. And I think if Jillian Roberts tires, Priscilla could get it done in the third round. So, okay, you know what? That's going to be the official play that we're going to suggest to the podcast. Round three sprinkle. That's going to be a prop on this one um, for the dog. Sound good? So $170 payout <laughs> for a $5 sprinkle. So let's pray it happens. Sold. Okay, next fight on the card. We have Randy Costa against Tony Kelly. Um, you know, this is another situation of gas tank and, and will it play a relevance in the fight? Um, Randy Costa's looked pretty impressive at, at points, striking, landing, um, some power shots, and, you know, being a switch fighter, he's, he's been able to implement a game plan before. But, yes, the gas tank is an issue, and, and is that going to play a role? I, I don't know. He does enjoy a three-inch reach advantage, and, his record is 6-2-0. Tony Kelly's is 7-2-0. Um, I mean, I'm going to just get into the striking right away, and then I'm going to pass it off to you. The striking from, from Costa is 8.64. He lands, and he absorbs 6.86 a minute. So he's willing to go in there and go to war. The problem with that is, is that's why the gas tank has been an issue. Now, his last war was against, uh, you know, Adrian Yanez. Adrian Yanez is one of the best boxers in MMA, um, bar none. So with that fight, he probably, you know, he ends up, I, not the stats for that specifically how many he threw, but uh, likely threw quite a bit um, at Giannis. So if we were to look at his opponents, we have Tony Kelly, 7-2-0, um, as I said. And for him, his landed strikes are 4.57. He absorbs 4.77. So he's, he's taking more. I don't know if that's a good game plan against Costa. So if he gets in there early with him in that first round um, and starts – you know, throwing bombs, he may go to sleep early. Um, this is going to be a KO or potential late gas to a finish on the other side or just a sloppy three-round, whatever it is. How do you see this by playing out? There's obviously some avenues there, but, uh, you know, I don't see grappling really being a thing here. It's just going to be mostly striking. Yeah, so this is kind of the tale of two strikers. Um, I think one thing that's notable in this fight is that 
both guys on their uh, in their earlier careers, they weren't really fighting the highest level of competition. Randy Costa was finishing most of his fights. He's kind of a one-rounder bust type of fighter. But to me, this is the biggest thing where Randy Costa's young. Um, he's going to come out, and I have a lot of questions on what he learned from the uh, Adrian Yanis fight, which makes me kind of hesitant in the spot. I do think he's a rifle favorite in the spot. Um, he's 27 years old, but in theory, like you'd think he'd be doing the right things, right? In Adrian Yanis fight, he beat the hell out of Adrian Yanis in the first fight and looked completely impressive, but he just blew his load in the beginning. So a lot of what it comes down to is Randy Costa should win this fight all day. But he also has to come in this fight and understand the fact that he's facing a guy that hasn't been finished that often and that he may not get it done in the first round. So you have to question on if he's going to make improvements from the Adrian Yanis fight or come in and try and do what he's always done and KO the guy. Like, if you look at Tony Kelly's resume, he's lost a split decision to Kevin Aguilar, a decision to Kaikamaka. And those are the two losses on his record. So the guy's never been KO'd. So I think Randy Costa rides in the spot. I think he's a more skillful and more talented fighter. Uh, as I said, Adrian Yanez is a guy that we'll be seeing in the top 10, possibly the top five in the future. So for the way he looked in the first round, he's super impressive. But this is his fight to lose, as I like to say, because if he comes out and tries to go for a KO or bust mentality, there's a good chance that he tires out and finds himself in a similar position that he did yeah, the Adrian Yanis fight. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think that although the gas tank still is an issue, I'm going to go with, um, you know, yeah. So, I mean, pretty quick with uh, Perez and Schnell. Um, I just think that Perez has him outclassed in every spot um, in, in this fight. And I know he hasn't fought in a while, but I'm, I was really heavy on him before he left. I'm going to go with Perez in this one. I, I think he is going to be one of the top guys in the division. I, I think he's a parlay piece, in my opinion. You may, I don't know how you feel about this, but. Uh, would you say he's a parlay piece? Yeah, I think Alex Perez is top taking material. For sure. So I think we're going to add him as the first parlay piece. we got a couple sneaky prop plays, um, but definitely Alex Perez is the parlay piece. Um, first one for the Knights. And looks as though my stats may have come back to me. Yeah. We're getting some snow up here in Canada. If you couldn't tell, you know, the Jersey Leafs were winning. Last time I looked, I, I, don't, I probably blew the lead at this point. But, you it's know. two two. <laughs> Okay, that makes sense. You always got to look from a, a cup half empty approach being a Leaf fan because then they just surprise you. Um, Honestly, I hate the fact that the Leafs are playing uh, Tampa Bay because they've been like my two go-tos for teams that actually generally win on my tickets. So I hate the fact that they're playing each other tonight. But uh, Tampa okay, Bay so, was up 2-1. Um, next part in the card, we have Miranda Maverick against Aaron Blanchfields. Um, we have two women that are, are nice strikers. We have one that has a little bit more power, one that has a little bit more volume. Um, I think this is going to be a fun one to watch. I think that they're going to probably steal at least the show for a minute, depending on, um, you know, what are the big fights of the night. I think this is going to be possibly a, a really good, really, really solid fight on the night. Um, Miranda Maverick, the southpaw. I always love the southpaw, especially in a striking situation. Um, but I, I think the volume is going to potentially play a role in this fight. Although I am on the Maverick side of things, Blanchfield's got me a little shook. Um, if you look at the striking, Blanchfield's lands eight per minute. Now the sample size is one fight. This is the UFC one fight against Sarah Alpar. Um, but she is a tactician. Like the, the striking is there. She lands high volume, significant strikes. So we're going to see how this plays out. Now, obviously, Miranda Maverick lost. I mean, she won definitely against Macy Barber. 
um, got robbed. What a brutal piece of shit show that was. That, that's probably, I think, the screw job of the year, I think, mm-hmm. hands down. For sure. That was a brutal, brutal one. You know, she's going to come back full of piss and vinegar. It's been a little while since uh, her loss to Barbara, but I'm really, I'm leaning into Maverick for this one. I think that the significant actual strike, like the landing, the power that lands, I think is going to play a difference um, over the volume. And although Blanchfield is a live dog, I don't know what the numbers on the situation right now. What, what's the numbers right now? Uh, one is 138 of Maverick, minus 138. I'll do a plus 110 on Blanchfield. Yeah, so it's still, it's, it's almost pick them. You're getting a little bit of plus money on Blanchfield, but not enough to call her a valuable dog. I, I think she is live for sure. Um, but I just think that there's going to be a chip on Miranda Maverick's shoulders. How do you how do you see this one playing out? I'm actually sort of excited for this fight. Yeah, like, and so we talked about this before we started recording, where like women's MMA is a little bit tougher to deal with just because you know it's going to go to a greasy decision. This is a fight that will probably go to a greasy decision. I don't really think you'll be one way traffic on either end. Um, I think Aaron Blanchfield is somebody who we're going to see in the top tier of the division. And I think Miranda uh, Maverick has that potential as well. Um, I kind of side with Blanchfield just based on volume. Um, she doesn't have a reach advantage, but Miranda, uh, Miranda Maverick will be in her face the whole time. So it's a very tough card to, or a tough fight to break down. I think at the end of the day, if you're going to bet this one, you're just going to bet that it goes the distance. I don't really see a finish coming on either end of it. And even What's over one and a half right now. Oh, it's going to be juiced. <laughs> the okay. over one and a half is minus 500. <laughs> wow. Okay. It, is so, a yeah, I mean, it might just be a stay away at this point. Um, uh, I honestly, like, I'm probably going to place just a single bet on uh, Aaron Blanchfield by decision at plus 210. I think it's going to come down to a greasy decision. And I think just on her point fighting kind of style and the way she's very meticulous with the strikers will probably be pushing the pace. I think she might get outstriked. And I think I can see Blanchfield uh, pulling decision, but this is far from a parlay material fight and definitely should just stick to straight bets if you're going to bet it at all. If you want to parlay this, it would be bet the fight doesn't, or fight goes the distance because the finish is very unlikely in this one, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, it, I, I'm probably just going to stay away altogether. Um, I'm just going to more enjoy it. Um, I am with you on Blanchfield being, you know, a, a, you know, I think she really is a live dog and volume does play a role. I think Maverick, I don't know if she has a face that the judges want to just say, fuck you too, but um, <laughs> it could happen again, right? I mean, that actually is something to look at with betting. I mean, maybe not now, but if this happens to her again in this fight, then you have to take that into account. Judges, for some reason, it's not necessarily her, but maybe something about her style that doesn't play well to how the judges, you know, take that information. When someone throws high volume, but maybe they don't always land that nice, like Giannis is a perfect example. When he's, you know, rolling off those punches or Bobby Green's rolling off those punches and the judges are scoring some shots that aren't even landing, right? And this happens a lot. So when you throw a lot, you get rewarded for it. Um, Maverick's going to have to have moments, I think, in this fight. I think she's going to have to maybe stun Blanchfield a little bit and get up there. And I don't think she finishes her, obviously, but I think, you know, she has to have moments. If you don't have volume, you have moments, and it's one or the other. So I think we'll move on to the next fight of the card. Uh, to me, this fight really depends on which Eric Anders shows up. If you look at Eric Anders versus Darren Stewart the first time, he came out and he bullied him. And despite there being a legal knee, he was on his way to finish that fight. Eric Anders versus Darren Stewart the second time. Kind of didn't really do much in the first round and really didn't pick anything up until the you know second and a half round. And I know a couple of people have pointed that out as well. Like 
that he's just a tough guy to bet on. Um, if the spice stays standing, it's going to be Eric Anders all day. Nunes doesn't have great striking. He's very reliant on his black belt. So it just depends if this fight can hit the mat or not. Um, it's probably good for a live betting uh, perspective because you're really going to see how this is going to go. Um, I side with Anders slightly because I like to believe that he's making the right decisions and improving. He does have a strong wrestling background. He does have the fundamentals and the striking where he does look good whenever he wants to put it together. But overall, it's a complete stay away. It's just on both sides of it, there's just too many ways I can see this fight going and ending that from a betting perspective, I don't really have much of an opinion on it. Yeah, and I think maybe for better quality going to, you know, season two, no matter what, even if I look at a fight and it's a stay away from me, I need to do more work on it, obviously, because someone's going to want to touch it and I have to give some information on it. But I mean, that was the first thing that rang out in my head when I looked at this was like, okay, well, it could go here. It could go there. You could end up seeing, you know, him potentially having success, taking him to the ground and Anders is on the bottom and, and there's a, you know, grind out a decision or Anders keeps it on the feet. Depend, I, I just, and that's what I was cycling through different things. And really um, this is a go outside and smoke, smoke a, a blunt and then uh, come back in. No, don't do that. If you love the fight game and watch every fight. But um, the reality is I just, for me, betting wise, it's a stay away. Um, let's move on to the next one. Okay, this one, um, I might play make a ballsy. I might make a ballsy play on this one though. I might go anti-violence a little bit on this one. Yeah, I'm crazy. I'm feeling a little, little crazy today. Um, so Jordan Wright against Bruno Silva. So Jordan Wright, the Beverly Hills Ninja. Um, he had he he had dropped out of the fight um, a fight recently. Was it actually against Bruno Silva? I don't think so. Uh, Jordan Wright. Yeah. Uh, one second, one second. Jordan Wright. I know. Well, maybe there, you know what? I think maybe there was a threat to the fight or something. Yeah, it was a COVID situation. I think Julian Marquez uh, is the one that actually fell out. Oh, okay. That's what it was. I don't have it here written down. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it was the Marquez fight. So, and we we're looking at Marquez, and I was thinking Marquez was going to steam steamroll through him. Um, and now I'm looking at Bruno Silva, and I'm thinking Bruno Silva is going to steamroll through him. Um, I know you were on the right side. I know that uh, Jordan Wright, you know, has, or at least in the last fight, you're on the right side. You're taking a shot at him, and I know that he does have the power in his hands. I know he does go to bang, and um, I just see him getting tagged like everybody else does. But I'm, I'm leaning maybe over the one and a half on this. I was, I'm going with Bruno Silva on this, um, even to the point where Silva is going to be a parlay piece, at least as far as my end, the end of the thing is concerned. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, the power's there, right? It's just leaves himself open to get hit. Like he, he, he lands 7.13. He's got that, he uses his reach well and everything else, but then he'll, he'll crash and he, he, land, he, he gets landed on 7.49 times per minute and he has a glass jaw and that's just not a good stat. Like that's an easy betting stat. Um, but part of me almost wants to go anti on it just a little bit and go over one and a half and say he outlasts a little bit. Or even maybe fight completes round one. Because um, you can get that on most books. So, because they're just, they're, they're, there's plus in both of those. And I, I, I don't know, do you think, do you think there's a world where Wright gets out of the first round? Uh, no, uh, I, I don't know, man. Like I said, this is kind of a tough one. My biggest thing is like, I like to bet against, or uh, I backed right in the last fight, but just because I think Marquez is a sloppy uh, sloppy fighter altogether. Um, 
but yeah, in this fight, like I'm, I'm all in on Bruno Silva. Like, and honestly, I maybe it gets past the one and a half. But if it gets past the one and a half, it's going to be one of these fights where you see these guys feeling each other out for three minutes, and that's the reason it gets there. And that's not really Bruno Silva style. He may be a little bit more hesitant. He did yeah. face a little bit of adversity in the Andrew Sanchez fight, um, where you know. I, I'd have to rewatch the fight, but I believe I had him down two rounds or it was close going into the third. And then yep. he took out and he's down the third round, right? So maybe he'll be a little bit hesitant because he'll be cautious of the fact that he almost lost that fight. But with Jordan Wright, like the guy just doesn't like to be hit. So, you know, and Bruno Silva is going to stand right the fuck in front of him and he's going to hit him. So I think this fight probably ends in the first round, but. Hey, maybe you're right, man. Maybe there's something we're missing here. Well, Nobody I mean, maybe, maybe I keep that to myself. Maybe I keep that to myself, even though I've thrown it out there. But I, I just, I don't know. I just, maybe it's from betting certain situations where you, if you're looking at over one and a half or you're, you're thinking things are going to go a certain way and they just don't. Um, so I'm going a little bit anti on it. But yeah, I mean, I think regardless of still the play here is Bruno Silva. I think he's a parlay piece. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And like, you know, overs are, overs are tough, right? Because you're really banking on, them to do a certain thing like look at the Tiago Santos and uh, Johnny Walker fight I feel like that's going to be quoted on every MMA capping fucking podcast ever of why overs are scary because nobody in the world thought that fight was going to go one round let alone the fact it went five so yeah, <laughs> that's yeah you can't you can't say that you honestly you're, you can't say that you're honestly going to bet on a, men, a mentality shift yeah that you don't know about like it's yeah it's hard to gauge just sometimes these you see those feeling out processes and maybe a little bit more respect than or respect for a loss of gas a loss of gas tank or respect for the opponent and they don't want to rush in so I don't know I'm still going to sit it's back tough. on that one but I think Bruno Silva um, parlay piece so we're we're putting together a decent parlay for sure I like it okay next on the card we have whoo we have a Shui. we have Augusto Sakai against Tai Tuivasa. Um, you know, both guys, heavyweights with power in their hands, both guys, good striking. Um, Sakai, obviously the question is, um, a little bit of the chin. And I mean, really at heavyweight, especially when you have guys that bang with that, it's almost anybody's gonna go to sleep anyways. I mean, Tio, uh, almost went to sleep his last fight. So, but he didn't, but he, but he didn't. So, um, Sakai 15, three and one tied to, 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 to 13 3 and 0. Um, really, there's a reach advantage. We got two inch reach advantage for Sakai. Um, Tuivasa does come from a southpaw stance. I really like that at heavyweight because southpaws tend to get at least one or two strikes off early on guys that aren't necessarily prepared for that. And in heavyweight, uh, that, that works out really well because one is all it takes. So you look at Tuivasa, uh, I mean, strikes landed 4.48, he absorbs 3.48 a minute. Um, Sakai a little bit more. Um, actually, no, they're about equal. He 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 he, land, he lands five point one zero, but he absorbs three point nine eight. So they're equal as far as their defense, or as far as their strikes absorbed to their strikes um, landed ratio. Um, really, I'm going to go uh, to Ibasa. I know he did get caught a little bit in his last spend, and then he ends up winning. But you know, Hardy, I'm, I'm glad that he got. Well, I thought he got rid of Hardy, but Hardy apparently is sticking around. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know why they keep him around. Like, the guy's got a story, sure, fine, but then he did, he's been unimpressive. I don't understand what they see in him. It baffles me. But I digress. 
Um, for me, I'm going to go to Ivasa in this. This is not a parlay situation because it's a heavyweight fight. And especially with guys that want to bang like that. I just, it could go either way. I, I like to Ivasa, but really, I guess the best play on this is the violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going over one and a half on this. <laughs> this is violence all the way. Fight doesn't go the distance. Um, 100%. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to side on the other one on this one, so this one we'll disagree on a little bit. It's, it's not a confident play. It's just the only thing whenever I tape study this fight that really stood out to me is the strength of schedule in favor of Sakai. Um, with that fight against uh, Ivanov, he, t- or he took out uh, Tybora, his fight against Andre Olovsky, um, his fight, uh, fight against Chase Sherman. He does have a little bit of a stronger wrestling uh, game, so I feel like he could take Ty down. And it's not that it is like Ty, like I think the guy's good, but I also just think he's super sloppy. So I feel like Sakai may be able to just weather that early storm from him. I know he just got KO'd by uh, Rosenstrike, but in reality, like Rosenstrike's got some crazy kickboxing record to back it up. It's just if there's any sort of threat of a takedown or anything, or if he's getting point fought, Rosenstrike just doesn't look good. Um, but I'm going to take Sakai in this spot, but I said it's not a confident play. I think you pointed out the best angle in this one is to just bet the violence because regardless, they're going to meet, they're going to throw bombs, and somebody's going to go to sleep, or they're going to be really fucking tired and it's going to be boring. But I'm I would bet somebody goes to sleep. Yeah, and you are you are sort of right in that one. It's it's with Tuivasa, though. You know he has the power, and we like him, and he's been the sort of fan favorite lately. He does have a sloppiness to his striking. If you can get caught by Hardy. There's yeah. going to be a point where he hits the line in competition, and this could be it. This could definitely be the line where um, he gets starts getting exposed. That's it, right? Because if you look at the two men that are going to fight for the strap, he wouldn't be able to stand in with, there with either of them. They would pick him apart. Um, Gone would just have a field day with him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I can see what you're saying on that. Maybe I'm just going with the recency bias and the fact that, you know, he, he has two losses back-to-back. Yeah, it's to some big names, but just – you know, he's been touched. And I just, that's the one thing that I think could play a difference in the heavyweight fight, but I, I'm with you. It could go either way. And then that's where I think we end at fight doesn't go the distance, but still, I mean, we'll probably both make our own plays and I'm sure everybody else make their own plays either way or the other on this. Yeah. Next fight in the car, we have Pedro Munoz against Dominic Cruz. Mm-hmm. I have put a back and forth. Um, this is one where a lot of people have opinion. Um, Dominic Cruz focusing on calling out his commentary partner, which I enjoyed. Um, the guy has no, he has no social cues. Did, did you notice that about Dominic Cruz? Yeah. He doesn't understand social under, I, I don't even know, like rules or understanding. Um, he did that with monster or whatever it was. He, he's yeah. now done that with Daniel Cormier. It's uh, and he doesn't feel like he's done anything wrong. And then you see him talking sometimes. He just doesn't. I, I don't know. It's almost like he's a fucking psychopath. But anyways, Dominic Cruz is the type of guy that I would not want to go for a beer with because I feel like he'd be a really boring conversation. Um. Yeah, and you might end up in the back car after. <laughs> no, he just seems really weird. Like, I should not for me to say, but I mean, it just it's just weird how he did that. I, I like that he did it as far as calling out Cormier because I think his commentary is brutal and it, it, it's exposed. But um, yeah, man, just you're at that highest level. Like if I'm not coming to a podcast or you're not coming to a podcast prepared and we're not getting paid for it, yeah, well, that's fucking one thing. 
but he's getting paid at the highest level and he, he admitted to paying somebody for uh to do his research for him so anyways i digress on that let's move into the fight we have pedro munoz against dominic cruz and man this is an interesting one we have dominic cruz who's been dominant for so long and you know has run into some problems obviously against cody garbrandt against uh Cejudo. and i mean second and, and even in his recent fights he, you could see where you know even against kenny you could see where he doesn't look like the crucible where there's a you can catch him you can catch him out of his get him out of his rhythm get him out of that guys have sort of started to figure out how to catch him because guys have actually even emulated his style and copied his style it's now a way to train so i mean people have started to figure him out and when you throw leg kicks and he's moving in this sort of triangle or diamond pattern that he does he's in and out um you throw those leg kicks to chop on both sides and you keep them where you want them right in front of you and it's been done uh, multiple times so i'm definitely interested to see how this fight's going to play out. I think Munoz could have met that game plan, but he's also showed many holes in his fights where he just doesn't step up to that level. Like he's maybe exposed at that highest level, you know, like he just can't breach that, that uh, top league. Losses to Edgar, losses to Aldo um, are no joke, but, you know, I hold, you know, Cruz in that same level. So if you can't beat those guys, I was higher on Munoz early. I'm flip-flopping back and forth. I'm on Cruz. And when I flip-flop back and forth, I ended up with over one and a half and didn't really come up with a pick. Um, but when I'm that far down the rabbit hole and I can't come to a decision, I'm going to just go with Cruz on this. I got to go with the vet. Um, I think he will come in with a focus to win this fight. And I just, the mental strategy of Munoz at times is where he's, he's had potential to take that fight and he hasn't quite grasped it. And I think uh, it's going to be much the same in this one. So I think Cruz is going to implement his game plan. Uh, Munoz will have moments, but I think that all in all, we're going to see a cruise decision. Um, it might even be a play. I, mean, I run on uh, a new, uh, another parlay that have, have been successful when you put, you know, two or three spots together of specific decisions or knockouts or whatever, parlay two or three together. But I think cruise uh, by decision is definitely a play, but uh, over one and a half is the safest bet on this one. Yeah. And so I know a lot of people look at the Casey Kenny fight and it's uh whatever it's uh Display decision. I thought Dominic Cruz easily won two of the rounds in that fight. Um, I said some people may disagree with that, but that is what it is. The thing that Casey Kenny did expose in that fight is that if you chop at his legs, and I think something that was exposed by Henry Sudo as well, that if you chop at those legs, you know, you're going to kind of like negate the style that Dominic Cruz comes in with. Um, this fight is rightfully priced at being a pick and price tag, but I don't like Pedro Muniz, and I fade him every chance I get. I don't honestly think he's a good fighter. And there's no knock on him. For sure, he's a better fighter than me. It's just, I I think in the grand scheme of things, you know, a lot of his fighter, fights haven't come to top tier competition. Like, I know that he beat Rob Font uh, back in the day in 2017. His fight against Cody Garbrandt, well, as I stated in our group chat and stuff earlier, is, you know, if you play rock and sock and robots with somebody, Somebody's going to go to sleep. So he could have easily been on the other end of that. You know, Frank Caraway, big another guy beat. Not a great fighter by any stretch of the imagination. Brett Johns, not a great fighter by any stretch of the imagination. So the strength schedule isn't in his favor at all. And the fights that he has had, even against Frank Yeager, people are like, oh, it's a split decision. I thought Frank Yeager won that fight pretty handily. I don't see where there's a split decision in that one. Um, 
He beat Jimmy Rivera, which who's at the tail end of his career. The only knock on Dominic Cruz is, as I said, the leg kicks have shown that they can take away his movement, and uh, Pedro Munoz has shown to have nice calf kicks and good leg kicks. And he hasn't really won a good fight since um, 2016 when he beat TJ Dillashaw and Uriah Faber. And, you know, so the big question is, after all those years off, I said he came back, he beat Casey Kenny. I thought he won pretty unanimously, but where is he going to be? So um, I think betting this fight goes the distance is probably your best angle. I do like Dominic Cruz. I think he should be a favorite, but it, this is a very tricky one because there's high variables on each side of this fight. For sure. Yeah, I think the safest play on it's over one and a half. I think um, I'm still going to likely hammer the cruise by decision. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. Think that, that is one thing to note, actually. So I think it was Andre Orlovsky, Dan Miller, and I can't remember the main event on that one. It doesn't matter. It's okay. Uh, you know, three of the main fights on the card, you can really pick where you honestly think the decision is going to go. And then you put it all together and they hit a lot, man, even doing it with two. Um, that's what happened last weekend as well, too. So, you know, Cheyenne, um, Gleesmus was one of the, the ones by, by decision. There's a couple different spots out there. Um, and I think that that's what I probably will do with the cruise one. That's not, you know, a front runner for picks. It's not a safer one, but I think that taking some shots of points isn't a, a bad play at all. So I'll probably tweet those ones out as well too. But uh, we have Josh. Josh Chapman against Danny is the next fight on the card. And this fight is likely going to be the fight of the night, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, Josh Emmett, well, depending on how long it lasts, but I think it likely will because Danny Gay is very durable and also has a great striking game. And this is just going to be a good one to watch, but Emmett's just a force in my opinion. But uh, if Josh Emmett against Danny Gay, Josh Emmett 16-2-0 against Danny Gay 15-4-0. Um, ring time is virtually the same. Height is pretty well the same. Reach is pretty well the same. Gay enjoys a one-inch reach advantage. Both are orthodox fighters, and their striking is virtually the same as far as significant strikes almost. So Emmett lands 4.32. Ige lands 3.82. And Emmett absorbs 4.02. And Ige, roughly at the same ratios we got, he absorbs 3.41. So they're playing the same game. It's just, I think that, I don't know, man. Emmett, when he goes in there, like, that's the thing nightmares are made of. I, I think he's I'm fucking, I don't like using the word monster because everybody uses the goddamn word monster when they don't know what to say. But he is a force in there, man. And he, when he lands, like, you just, especially when you, uh, in it's not going to be in the, the apex but when you see him in fights where the crowds aren't as big it's just like he lands with thuds he's a monster and i think he takes this fight already as a parlay piece which is potentially dangerous but although i think there's going to be a, a great war back and forth i think there's going to be either an early finish by emmett or later finish by emmett one way or the other um i mean if you look at even both their records both guys some some good uh good fights i think how long this fight lasts is how durable danny is going to be He's going to get his spots. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think they're going to trade back and forth. I just think that the power shots are going to be there from Emmett a little bit more. Um, he just lands everything with power versus Ige, who does land with power, but it's not as frequent. And uh, I'm going all day on Josh Emmett on this one. Yeah, I mean, I can agree more. Man. Um, I've always been super high on Josh Emmett. I think the guy's an absolute stud. Um, it kind of sucked what happened in that fight with uh, Burgos, where he got like his ACL and everything torn up. And then that fight against uh, Jeremy Stevens, where he just had a real bad time with that elbow and he just kind of screwed up uh, after that. But yeah, I think he rides in the spot. 
And I, I think the big thing with Dan Ige is he's not very technical. He's got to have decent ground game, but, you know, Josh Emmett's a big dude. He'll be able to hold him down. And if they if, if the fight hits the ground, I still give the uh, the advantage to Josh Emmett. And the dude hits like a Mack truck, man. And he's very precise with the strikes. He's very in your face the whole time. So, yeah, I'm Josh Emmett all day on this. I'm happy the guy's back. I'm happy he's healthy. And I'm excited to see him come in and go to war again. Yeah, I think there's going to be a little bit of trading initially, but at some point there's going to be a hammer and a nail, and the nail's not going to be Josh Emmett. Exactly. So I think we'll move into the next one on the card. Pampeva against Sean O'Malley. Now, I know that a lot of people have opinions on this one. Um, people are digging for a dog on this one. People are saying, okay, is O'Malley going to finish this one, or is he going to ride a decision? Everybody has some hot takes on this one, it seems. Um, I'm not a fan of Sean O'Malley. I don't. He, I, it shows my age when I talk about Sean O'Malley because I think that that generation of whatever the hell that is, I'm sorry, I just I can't do it. Face tattoos and destruction of hip hop and um, just all the stuff I see is just all to me doesn't fly work or anything. Doesn't take anything away from like his striking prowess. And not even just that. I watched him on Instagram. I'm on Instagram, although I, I'm hating on him, I'm still still watching the shit. And he did a move in the cage. It was like he. I, I'm not sure it could have been set up, whatever else, but um, one of his parring partners, whatever, rushes him with the knee, misses it, and then he just goes in and takes the back, bam, and slams him. And although it was probably set up to some degree, these are things he can do. And he, he, any of you watch his Instagram and check it out. As I'm hating on him, I'm telling you to like him, of course. I think O'Malley would, should ride in this, but at the same time, like, I don't ever be so confident on parlay piece, and I just don't know if he gets a lot of, like if I was going to fight Sean O'Malley and I wanted to make a name for myself off the guy who wants to make a name off of ever, everybody else, I would go in and just kick the shit out of his calf. And that would be the only thing I would almost practice like this blocking up. And I would just land calf kicks all day long until he's hampered. And then I'd go in for the kill. So that scares me as it does everybody else. And I just don't know what kind of adversity, like how, how is he going to weather it if he does get underneath Pave at some point? I don't know. I, I, I think he'd be okay, but just that calf really scares the hell out of me. Um, so as much as I was heavy on O'Malley initially, I, I did want to make him a parlay piece. I don't know if that's a smart play to add him as a parlay piece. I think there's a way to attack this fight separately, and maybe we can make this the fight we focus on separately. But, but I think O'Malley is uh, likely going to ride, but I just don't know how to pick this one, man. What's your thoughts? Uh, the only thing that I have issues with P Pavia on and this one is the fact that um, he used to be a flyweight fighter. And I find Sean O'Malley very big for a bantamweight. So um, I'm just going to look it up quickly. But I feel like there's going to be a pretty big size discrepancy between. Three inch reach advantage. 5'11 um, to 5'8. Three inch so advantage. He will be. The thing is, though, like, if you look at Pavia's last fight against Kyler Phillips, like, the guy got 10-7 in the first round, got the living piss kicked out of him, and came back and won. And, I, you know, <laughs> Sean O'Malley doesn't put out that type of output. So. I think there's a little bit of a da more dangerous spot than people think. Like, I don't have too much of a hot take on it because I'm like you. I don't care for Sean O'Malley. And whenever there's fighters like this who kind of just pop over here and put themselves in the mainstream, it kind of, for me, takes away from the enjoyment of doing, like, these breakdowns and stuff because I don't really care for the guy as a person. Like, he's talented, but all he does is bitch and complain on the internet and, you know, kind of annoys me. Where – I said, Pavia, man, I guess 21 and three. Um, I said, he stopped making the cut to flyweight because he is a little bit big for a flyweight. You know, the guy's still 5'8", so it's fairly large for somebody cutting down to 125. And he decided to come out as a bantamweight. And 
the guy can take a beating. And I think the biggest question in this fight is going to be the durability, Sean O'Malley. Um, if he can get Pavia out of there, then he can get it done. Pavia hasn't really been stopped that much in his career, just other than a doctor stoppage. So obviously not on his own accord. And one anaconda choke way back in the day of him fighting uh, for EFC. So I said, I think it's more of a dangerous fight than people think. I think people just like to ride with somebody that they know. But the problem with the way Sean O'Malley's doing this is, you know, he's saying he doesn't want to fight ranked fighters. He doesn't want to fight ranked fighters. But, you know, there's a lot of people that are unranked who are trying to make a name for themselves. So it makes him in a more of a dangerous spot, in my opinion, to take on guys like Pavia who know that they're going to take that spot if, he come, if they come in and take him out. So it's just there. definitely has more to lose. Yeah, I mean, with so with O'Malley, man, I just feel although the, you see the talent, you see the level there, but I, I feel like there's an imposter there to some degree, and maybe that, that's all just me and how I interpret him. But um, I just feel like he's going to be exploited at some point, and I don't know who's going to do it. And yeah, the calf kicks sort of people can say did it, but I mean, a calf kick's one thing; it's a strategy and whatever else. But I think someone's going to dominate him in the way where you know we haven't seen yet. Someone's going to like get a hold of him and ragged all the shit out of him. I don't know when that happens. I don't know who it's going to be. Um, but I just feel like he's an imposter. And for that reason, it's probably just my own thing, but that he makes me want to stay away a lot. Um, and I think I'm going to. So, yeah. question. Who do you think's on the back of this jersey? On the back of your jersey? Yeah, who do, who do you think's on the back of this? I have no idea, man. I'm not, I'm not great with hockey. I'm not going to lie. I like the so best. The, the year before the Leafs moved from Maple Leaf Gardens, this shows my age, okay. from Maple Leaf Gardens to the ACC, yeah. They, they added two players to their roster. One was Ty Domi. Okay. And one was Matt Sundin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, if I like fighting, who the hell do you think is on the back of this jersey? Uh, uh, yeah, you got to show it off. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great, man. <laughs> Anyways, it was nice to actually see his son get a goal in Toronto the other night. Uh, that was sort of nice to see. But anyways, uh, I digress nice on that. Just wanted Toronto to... could score some goals because right now they are down two points. <laughs> oh, wow. Getting, getting their ass handed to them, but they're over four and a half, so that works. All right, but I will move forward from there. And let's get into Kai Kara France against Cody Garber. Um, I've gone back and forth on this. I think that Cody Garbrandt has Kaikara France beat everywhere, um, but his chin makes me question that. Um, I know that Kara France can land a little bit more striking. I just think that a lot of people are going to say Cody Garbrandt might not be as fast moving down. I, I disagree. I think he's going to be as fast. It's just Cody Garbrandt always, once he has a mental break, he decides to slang and keep his hands way down. When he goes in and, and you see him destroying landing strikes properly, he looks so good. He, he just, uh, his mental breaks away and he does whatever he does. And his soft chin is there. I don't know if Kai Kara France knocks him out. So I think over time, Cody's going to either catch him, soften him up, or win a decision in the long, long run. I, I, and I see that Kara France, you know, he lands 5.02 uh, and absorbs 3.84. Um, in the last, what, four? Four fights, five fight sample size. Garbrandt is not very sound. So he's he's landing 3.17 and he's absorbing 4.14. I just think that 
one of those or two of those 3.17s are going to be damaging. Um, I, I, once again, I'm sort of stuck on this. There's some name value to, to Garbrandt, and then you have someone else coming up. Does he does he take him? I think he. I think Garbrandt still edges him out and all this stuff, but um, you know, it's a tough one. I, you could say over one and a half, but Garbrandt can get knocked out in the first minute just because his chin is completely done. We don't know. Um, in his loss to Font, I mean, he just he leaves himself exposed. I, I don't know what more to say. He has. See, I'm talking myself off the ledge right now. So you see what I'm doing right now? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and that right there tells me I'm going to just stay away. Because if I'm looking at this, like, I think that by rights, Garbrandt should win this fight. The wrestling's there. Um, so is the striking. And he's just scares me for mental laps and for soft chain. So I'm going to stay away from this fight. You may even see me sprinkle a little bit of Kai Kara France. I don't know because I'm, I'm already flipping myself on this one. Where, where are you going on this one? I think, you know, with the Kai Kara France does enjoy a four inch reach advantage. And if Cody doesn't play smart, that, that could be a bad night for him. So where, where are you on this one? Yeah, uh, I'm on the Garbrandt side of it, but it's it, it's one of these fights. Like, there's a lot of variables, right? Like, with Cody Garbrandt cutting down in weight. Um, Kai France is a good hammer and a bad nail. Um, the guy doesn't seem to be like he likes to get punched. But as I said, I don't agree with the narrative that um, – that Cody Garbrandt's chin is gone. I, I know a lot of people say that, but it's just like in my perspective of it, Cody Garbrandt's an emotional fighter. And we hear that time and time again. And whenever he gets KO'd, it's because he drops his hands and throws to the wind with elite level fighters. If you look at the Raw Fawn fight, Raw Fawn landed 176 strikes and didn't KO him. So like, I don't necessarily know if he's chin yeah. gone. I just, I don't, I think his fight IQ is very questionable. Like I don't think he comes in there with the smartest game plan or if he does, he throws caution in the wind all the time. Um, so you think maybe we look at the him hitting the scales? If he hits the scales yeah, and he seems okay? Yeah, you got you got to wait on that, right? And I, I think Cody Garbrandt, I think he's always been undersized for bantamweight. Um, he's one of these guys that would probably benefit if they had like the five pound increments. Like if we had a one thirty pound division, I think he'd be a guy that would benefit for something like that. Don't get me excited. Don't get me excited. Well, he yeah, he looks. Well, well those are the stories you want to hear, right? A guy drops some weight. Yeah, yeah you, you, you want to hear those stories. You want to hear a guy drops some weight, just like Aldo situation, and, and does really well. So, and I mean, but this is coming off the first fight. If he goes in there and starches him right away, everybody's going to be talking about Cody Garbrandt. So, all right. Yeah, like we got to remember, we aren't far off from Cody Garbrandt having a title fight, right? Like Cody Garbrandt was scheduled to fight Figueredo, and that fight fell through because Cody Garbrandt getting COVID and everything. So, but. In all fairness, going from them having confidence and putting him in there against Figueredo for them putting him in there with Kaikar Francis, there's a big difference. So for me, from a perspective of somebody breaks down fights, like if he goes in there and loses to Car France, then he had no business being in there with Figueredo to begin with. So then I'm happy for his sake that that fight didn't happen. So it's it's a dicey one, but I I have a gut feeling Cody rides in this fight, though. Like, I think the weight cut will actually be good for him. I think he'll – he still even has a reach disadvantage against Cara France. Like, he's not a big guy. So, I'm in on Cody, but it, once again, it's not a hot take. It's not a parlay material fight. It's there is just, a time. It, it could happen that we start watching the fight and he looks like, a, you know, minus 220. 
<laughs> the moment he gets in there, right? So that, that could happen, definitely. All right, we'll move to the next fight in the card, and I, I want to get the numbers on it right away um, for a very obvious reason how we're going to play this fight. We have Jeff Neal against Santiago Ponzinibbio. Um, money's coming in like crazy on Ponzinibbio right now because Jeff Neal's uh, current, you know, DUI and weapons charge and all that stuff. And everybody can try to, you know, play in and in their head as to what they think is going to happen and why, how he's going to take that in and everything else. We don't know. Um, I don't know if that's the way to bet. Yeah, he's going to have to deal with a bunch of stress from it. I don't know if, uh, you know, it's going to play a huge role. Now, the one thing that is worrisome is why is he out getting a DUI when he's, you know, what, he's a week away from a fight? Mm-hmm. That is a little worrisome. You know, a loss of Neil Magny is no joke. You know, he, he has beat Mike Perry. I almost want to fade the narrative right now, depending on where the numbers are. What's, what's Jeff Neal and Santiago Ponson in uh, Plus 110 for uh, Jeff Neal and a minus yeah. 125 for I mean, I think Ponzinibbio actually is going to take this fight, but I mean, if the numbers were worth it, it was worth a little shot. I mean, Neil does have the power in his hands. He does enjoy the reach advantage. Um, I think Ponzinibbio rides. I think Ponzinibbio is a much better fighter. Um, yeah. It's just the thing with Jeff Neal is I, the reason why I'll back away from this fight is because whenever I look at this fight, I look at uh, Miguel Bajeza versus Cass Williams and a mistake that I made backing a guy who I thought was the better fighter against a guy with good KO power. So that's where, like, that fight alone walked me off a cliff whenever I looked at the spikes. I'm like, ah, I'm seeing, I'm having some deja vu here. I don't, don't want to tamper too much with this, right? I lost a really big bet on Miguel Bajeza, and as I said, it was just, it was an oversight on my part, you know? Um, but He's coming off two losses now, so you won't be betting him next time. So he lost to Ponzinibbio as well, too, right? So That's it. But, yeah, with Ponzinibbio, I just think he's a better fighter. Um, Jeff Neal, he's a good fighter. He's got good KO power. But Ponzinibbio showed a really good fight IQ in that Miguel Bajeza fight where he was able to adapt and overcome. Like, I know a lot of people look at the Lee and Chiliang fight, and they're like, oh, we got KO'd by him, and this guy just got destroyed by Hazman, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, they're doing what we say you always should, and you shouldn't build a narrative in your head. Ponzinibbio was coming in off that, coming into that fight off like a two-year layoff and everything like that. You can tell the way he ran out that he really wanted to get the KO. He was right in Lee's face and, you know, he left himself exposed. And Lee's a good striker in his own right. And he capitalized on a check left hook. It happens. It's a fight game. I think you run that fight back eight out of ten times, Santinigo uh, is going to win. So it's just, once again, I think he showed great improvements in the Bahesa fight. And I think he rides in this fight. Yeah, okay. Um, how confident are you? Are you confident enough to maybe throw him in the pool right now until we definitively decide on a parlay piece? I'd say 60-40. <laughs> Just because I said Jeff Neal, man, no. this guy hits like a max rock. Yeah, it's, it, once it's, again, it's that variable that if Ponzinibbio makes a mistake and we saw him get chin-checked not too long ago, it, it, makes, me, it makes me cautious. Once again, yeah, I mean, one of these things where I think he probably wins this fight eight out of ten times, like I just said about Lee. But if he leaves himself to be exposed, then Jeff Neal could easily take his chin off. But let's just dive right into the main event. Amanda Nunes is going to win. There's no need to break down this fight in any way, shape, or form. She's going to win. Next in the card, Charles Oliveira against Dustin the Diamond Poirier. We have Charles Oliveira, 31-8-0. Th- we have Dustin Poirier, 28-6-0. Oh. This is going to be a good one. We have a champion who's being underrated right now. Um, he has a two-inch reach advantage against a southpaw fighter in, in 
Dustin Poirier. You know, I think it was, I can't remember who was talking about it. Uh, I think it was even on Dogger Pass. They were talking about the idea of the recency bias with Dustin, you know, beating a sort of burnt Conor McGregor. And it's not a bad way to look at it, to be honest, because I think that he really is being, you know, trumped up in this spot. I'm definitely on the Dustin train anyways, but I do see Dustin cutting off the ring on, on Oliveira. Dustin crashing the pocket and just landing that boxing. I do see him implementing his game plan even grinding up against the cage. I don't see him trying to take it to the ground. Obviously that would be really stupid. So, but I do see him grinding at him on the cage. And uh, I think Dustin Poirier wins this fight. I don't think it's as heavy on the KO as a lot of people think. Cause even if you even look at how it's set up in, in the line, they're expecting like one and a half rounds. They're expecting two, two rounds, you know, like that's it. So that is definitely something like over two and a half, I think plus money right now, um, which is the bad play at all. And I think both guys are durable. I think both guys can roll. They've had their spots where they've, they've, they've lost. We got champions that have striking. We know that the one spot in the fight where there's going to be a, a huge disadvantage is Charles Oliveira. That could be enough to bet on him as the champion who's an underdog. I wouldn't hate you for betting the plus money on a, on a champion. Um, but I'm going to go with exactly what I think is going to happen. I think that Dustin Poirier went there. And yeah, he is coming off of burnt Conor McGregor, but that's boosted his, his confidence level. And when a fighter at that level's confidence level is there, that's a scary thing to have because he implements a, a game plan of training that he didn't before and in his fight. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Dustin Poirier on this as my pick. I'm not touching it in any parlays, I think, except for the over one and a half parlay I put together. For you, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I know a lot of people want to back Charles uh, Oliveira, and they use the same narrative against Poirier that you mentioned. Like, oh, well, he beat a washed-up Conor McGregor uh, two times in a row. But if you look at Charles uh, uh, Oliveira, sorry, um, it's kind of the same thing, though. Like, the guy's strength of schedule isn't as good as it does in Poirier's, and that's the one thing that stands out to me. Like, you can argue whatever he's on the night fight, win streak, I believe. But, you know, Michael Chandler, okay, Tony Ferguson. Well, we've all seen how Tony Ferguson looks. Kevin Lee, well, Kevin Lee just got cut. Jared Gordon, um, not a bad fight, but far from, far from being up there. Nick Lentz, the guy's been around for 20 years. David Termer, you know, Jim Miller, Christoph Jagos, like the, uh, the strongest strength of schedule, sorry, is the one thing that makes me side with Poirier in the sense where whatever, he beat Conor McGregor twice, but, you know, would Charles Oliveira beat Conor McGregor twice? I don't know. Charles Oliveira would lose to Khabib and, you know, Dan Hunker. That was a five-round war. You know, Max Holloway, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis. Like, the, the strength of schedule is just in Dustin Poirier's side. And I think even if the fight hits the ground, he would still be pretty comfortable there. Um, I think he's a rightful favorite, but I think this is a fight where you just want to watch and enjoy it. The over 2.5 is a good point. I looked that up while you were talking. It's plus 110 not a bad angle i don't think either one of these guys is going to come out and try and finish this early like obviously nope. everybody wants to finish the fight early but i think they're going to see the fact that both of them have a high potential in this fight to win it so i feel like it will get dragged out like i think you'll probably yeah, if, you're gonna do, if you do a prop parlay say um or sorry like a time parlay over two and a half might be a good thing to add or even on its own um, yeah but yeah, okay, so we're, we're riding with the diamond, and uh, let's just quickly get our, our um, parlay out of the way, and then we'll go from there. So first piece of the parlay, would you say you're that confident in Ryan Hall, or are we going to go with Alex Perez as the first piece of the parlay? Alex Perez, for sure. Then we go Bruno Silva? Bruno Silva. 
and we add a, are you that confident that Munoz will not figure out Dominic Cruz? Are we going to add Dominator or are we going to chill on that one? No, I think we keep this, at least in my opinion, as a three-leg parlay, and we put in Josh Emmett. I think those are my three strongest plays. On I like it. Everything like else it. scares so, the shit out of me. No, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with you on that. So we go Josh Emmett, um, Alex Perez, and Bruno Silva. And then if you were to pick one um, fight on the parlay that ends a specific way, you think like almost 10 times out of 10, what is your pick? And not the obvious in the the lioness. <laughs> um, I, I think that you bet the fact that Jeff Neal San Diego doesn't go the distance. Or sorry, what about if you look at outcome? I want I want someone wins a certain way. What is it? Bruno Silva KO. Easy. <laughs> okay. Because what I want to do is try to put together a, you know, Bruno Silva say and Dominic Cruz by decision, spliced in with, you know, maybe one more piece, maybe a Ryan Hall submission. Um yeah. And, you know, as, a, as something along those lines. But we'll, we'll work on that and send that out on Twitter. The main thing is we get the parlays out of the way. Your main dog on the card? I'm going to take a ballsy bet on this one, and I'm going to go with Priscilla Cachuera. You know what? I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to back you on that one. I, I have so many questions about Jillian Robertson, and I, I think we ride on that one. Not, not too many people are. Um, Let's go with it. I think that uh, Priscilla Cachoeira is going to be our dog of the day, or sorry, our whatever we want to fucking call it, um, our dog. And then we'll go with our parlay pieces. As always, um, we ain't getting paid. We just do this. Um, so <laughs> we find angles. We have fun. We dig in. We enjoy looking at tape. Um, we try to find spots that work for us and work for you. And, uh, you know, if you don't like it. What we've got here is... Failure to communicate.